1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Andy L, And I'm joined this morning by a guy with a last name that is synonymous with swimming <laughs> in this community for, what, Too 60 long. years probably? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> Maybe even more than that. We put your dad in there. Yeah, put it's my a, dad in there. Oh, my God, you're back in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're talking with Brad Thatcher. Uh, from Thatcher Pools and Spas, so that connection, obviously, on on Broadway. But that, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're talking, we're here to talk about community pools, right, Ryan? Yeah, we want to talk about the pools we have in Rochester. And uh, it's obviously an issue that people are connected to because it seems as if there's a lot of discussion on what to do as far as water recreation. Yeah, and people have a ton of opinions about it. Yes, um, and I guess I'm going to throw it to you and ask you, where do you see this community going with its pools? What, what I guess what 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 would you like to see, and the the group that you're working with like to see? Well, we've got a big group, Rochester Swimming Inc. You know, with a lot of people that are passionate about swimming and teaching swimming to kids, and which is our goal is really wanting to do uh, this and, and, and trying with so much, so many people in this town growing so well that swim lessons and teaching kids how to swim is really our goal that we're trying to get to. But our pools are in such bad shape, we're fighting for pool space. And with the Y going down and these old pools going down, we need new pools. Now, we have, you know, we have lakes being opened. We have splash pads that people are talking about. Um, but really, the thing is, is that we are looking at at needing new pools. We we've got two pools that are in terrible shape. I take care of them, and they're in just horrible shape, and need to be replaced. And I think we've got to replace these pools first before we look at splash pads and and lakes and everything else that are out there. Not saying that those aren't fun to do and aren't fun there, but I think teaching these kids how to swim in, a, in an environment, um, we're we're fighting for pool space right now. How old are those pools? We're talking about Silver oh, Lake and Soldiers Field. Yeah, 70 uh, years old for Silver Lake. It's the oldest operating pool in Minnesota. It's just ridiculous. And then you've got 50 some years old for soldiers. Now soldiers was kind of remodeled a little bit back in 2000, but that's almost 22, 25 years ago. And they're in tough shape. So you're saying it's time to dig them out of the ground and put new pools in. Yeah, we've got to do something. And uh, we've got to get these pools back in uh, a community like that we have. I mean, we look at this, I was just at Austin Municipal they got they've got four pools in one spot. They've got they've got a large uh, competitive pool. They've got a diving pool with with climbing walls and diving boards. They've got a baby pool and a splash pad. Four of those things in one spot. And this is something that we look at what we have, and it's it's just terrible. You, you do see that a lot on social media comments of. Why do these small towns around us have fantastic swimming facilities, outdoor swimming facilities, and we have what we have now? Do you get any, when you, I know you speak to people in the city government about this, what kind of response do you get? Well, it all comes down to appropriating the money to what they think is important. And, 
you know, this is something that I think aquatics is very important in this town. We are a huge uh, swimming community. Why they aren't spending more money to these pools and doing things elsewhere is beyond me. I mean, we we look at, at Rochester Area Economic Development has Stewartville on their website for a pool. I didn't know Stewartville was in the city of Rochester. Something must have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 it's just bad. And they're and we're still turning people away. We're, these pools are still packed and stuff like that. So it's a need, and I don't know. I, I have no reason why they aren't okay. looking for putting these pools and new pools in. Uh, there are a lot of private pools, you know, because people you well, yeah, call them in people's not, backyards. But not everybody can afford a private pool in the backyard. We sh- we have people that we need to teach swim lessons. We need to have these kids that don't have the ability to find pools or, or are on a swim club or anything like that. Our community needs to have the ability to let these kids swim. Why, why are you and your organization that you're with so enthusiastic about swimming? What is it about swimming that you want to, that you are promoting so heavily? Oh, I think it's a great, I mean, it's, I think you should learn how to swim before you learn how to bike. The heck with these bikes. We can, we want to swim. It's great for you, young and old. I mean, this is a sport that you can use throughout your whole life. Um, Everybody can do it. It's fun. You can use it for exercise. You can use it for entertainment. Um, I grew up swimming all my life. I think it's great. Of course, you know, my business is this. And of course, we want everybody to learn how to swim. We want everybody to have the access to pools. And I know the community, the city has, through the DMC initiative and all that, they have a big push for health and this a healthy community. And I'm sure you can tell the positive health aspects of swimming oh. a few laps. Yes, and it's that's the thing is is it's it's the best type of exercise you can get. Um, it's not hard on your body, but here again, we need to have pools in order to do this. And and now that summertime is is upon us here, we can see that we just don't have that, and we need this desperately in this community for everybody, whether it's young or old. We don't need to be fighting for pool time. This community should have the ability to have enough pools in this community to to satisfy everybody else's needs. So the pools you have available for these types of activities are the the aging pools at Silver Lake and Soldiers, Soldiers Field. Field. We haven't put new about the pools rec center. in this town. And then, of course, the rec center. And, of course, it's a fight for that pool. And what's killed us is that the Ys closed down. And, you know, other communities like, you know, that have new new facilities like that, um, we've lost it. And that really hurts because now the only indoor pool we have is the rec center. And we're fighting tooth and nail for, for that uh, space and time because everybody wants to use it. Sure. It's quite the facility. And I imagine the competition to get in there is pretty strong. But um, have you and your organization put forward any proposals to the city? We're trying to get them to replace instead of using and doing splash pads, which are fun. I'm not going to say anything bad about splash pads. I think we should have the ability in this town to have both. Um, But we need more space to teach kids because right now we're limited it out with what the two pools we have. And we need to get those pools back into operation before they fail on us. Do you you hear from, from a lot of parents 
wanting to get their kids into lessons? We are full on lessons. And that's why I was, uh, you know, Autumn from the Orcas that does all these swim lessons and does the WSI and does all this stuff. So we have lifeguards and we teach these kids how to swim. Um, they're full. We don't have any more room. And, and there's so many more people that need to, to learn how to swim, that want to know how to swim, that we cannot do because we don't have the pool time. And we have the ability to teach more lessons, but we have nowhere to go. Wow. And that's bad. I can't even imagine growing up not learning to swim. It seems oh, alien to me. That and we have so many people come from different cultures that they we see this where they have the ability to go to a pool but they don't know how to swim. And and this is is scary and we would rather have them in a pool than in a lake or someplace where you don't have lifeguards, you don't have clean water, you don't have clear water you can see. Um, I mean, here again, our park and rec has, has got these lakes, and that's great. These lakes are great, but they're dirty water. It's not clear, no lifeguards. Um, why would people want to take a family there if it's not that safe? Um, that's why it's so important to have these pools up and going and a safe environment for these kids to swim in. Another aspect that I often hear about and I think about myself growing up in this town is that when I was a young kid, we had the same pools. We had Soldiers Field and we had Silver Lake. And uh, they were packed. They were heavily used in the summertime. Uh, of course, we didn't have air conditioning in our homes either, most of us in those days. Uh, but the city is at least twice as large today or even oh, larger than it was larger. you and I were growing up. And, and and you look at right now, you've got an Austin, a, a town of 30, 40,000 people that has four pools in one location. And you look at other these small towns and they think how important it is to teach their kids how to swim, how they have entertaining these kids over the summer when they're out of school. Um, and that's what we got to We got to get the city back on, on track on that. We've got to get them to say, listen, we've got to entertain these kids. They're taking buses to Cassin and taking buses to Dodge Center. And they're and, and why are they going out of town when, when our city should be able to go ahead and build facilities like that so they can sit here in town and do so? So if somebody's listening to you and I talking about this today and they're in agreement with what you're saying, you have any advice on for them well, what they should a, be doing? They've got to contact both our. They can either contact the park board or your city city council member and tell them that we need pools. Um, I mean, really, it's it's we need to be able to teach more people how to swim. That's what we're after. That's what it's about: swimming, learning how to swim, and the health benefits of swimming. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that is our goal. We want swimming to be fun and enjoyable. We don't want any problems. Um, you know, and it's something that we need to do. I mean, that's our goal is we want kids to swim. We got big swim organizations here. That is, I swam. I thought it was great when I was a kid and in high school and in college and, and I coached and I thought this is a great sport. Well, you mentioned the lakes, obviously, Cascade and Foster Air and, and, uh, I think you need to have the ability to swim if you're actually out in those waters. Especially and, Foster Air and with the cold, you know, the cold water there, especially. And, and that's what scares us. There's no lifeguards out there. The water's not clear. Um, it's not clean. 
yes, it's great, but here again, where do we want these people that really aren't comfortable swimming? If you're a good swimmer and you want to swim in the lakes, but that's another thing. We're the land of 10,000 lakes. I think every kid should know how to swim. My God, the place you go, there's a lake. Um, and, you know, that's something that you got to think about, that, that that's our goal is to teach every kid how to swim. All right, Brad. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about swimming lessons and get on a list, obviously it's a waiting list. Do they contact your that organization? That we got the Orcas, which is Rochester Swim Club. Orcas. That's Autumn. Yep, the Orcas, and okay. uh, they have a website. We have um, the uh, Rochester Swim Club or Rochester Swimming Inc. have websites that'll direct you to that. Um, Autumn Capes is the director of that, and and right. uh, it's something that we want to have people know that hey. We need more space for swim lessons because I think there's a need out there for this. All right. Well, hopefully somebody from the park board or the city council is listening right now. I hope so, too. Okay. Brad Thatcher, thanks a lot for joining us today. All right, Andy. Thank you for All right. having me. Appreciate it's it. Brad, Brad Thatcher, where you're talking swimming pools on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It's no secret if you work in the construction today... I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm super happy to be joined by Bill Werner from the Minnesota News Network. Good morning, Bill. Hey, Andy. Good to be back with you. Yeah, I know normally we talk when the legislature's in session. Yes. Because you're stationed at the state capitol observing everything that's going on. But I thought we could connect, seeing as we're eh, almost a week past the primary elections. And they were... right. Some big-time things decided during these primaries. Yeah, you know, a lot of primaries, you kind of go, well, well, whatever, yawn, right? And it's going to be the, the political faithful, and they're out, right? And so on and so forth. But this one was, you know, right up there in terms of interest. I mean, you had, first of all, Attorney General's primary uh, between Republicans uh, and and the, the endorsed candidate fighting it out with, with a challenger. Um, Jim Schultz uh, and, and uh, the endorsed candidate and Jeremy Munson, uh, the uh, state representative, uh, challenging him. Um, and, and then you had a, a super complicated <laughs> primary combined with a special election in, in your section of the state in the first congressional district. Yes. And, and that, that one was, <laughs> you know, I mean, you almost had to study that before you went into the voting booth to figure out what you were voting for in that one, because that was, that was complicated. And we did have an outcome, and uh, just late last week, we now have, we actually have a congressman representing the first district. That's after right. After being uh, a vacancy for quite some time because of the the death uh, of the late of, yeah, Jim, Jim Hagedorn. Hagedorn. Yeah, yeah, and, and Brad Finstead, the, the person, of course, sworn in now into the United States House of Representatives. Uh, and and the, the interesting situation there is uh, that, that there were two things going on. There was, first of all, the special election to determine who, whether it be he or, or, or whether it uh, be the Democratic candidate, Jeff Ettinger, uh, was going to serve out the balance of uh, the late Congressman Hagedorn's term. And uh, Brad Finstead, the Republican, won that election. Then there was also the, um, uh, the special election. Uh, in, in which uh, Brad Finstead was seeing a challenge from State Representative Jeremy Munson. And, and he, he won that, uh, Finstead won that also by a Handily, substantial yes. margin. I mean, he hammered Munson uh, about three to one on that one. Let me ask probably, you, Bill. Not surprising. 
Did that? Okay, I was going. Did that catch you by right. surprise? No, that was my no, question. It, yeah, no, it really didn't. Uh, because uh, Finstad, first of all, he's the endorsed candidate, and so he has the resources. And and I I just detected from a, a reporter's perspective that that Finstad's campaign operation was much better mobilized than Munson. Um, even to the point where uh, uh, where he had he Finstad had campaign PR people to work with the media, whereas Munson you you call and you get his cell phone number, right? And, and that's fine. I mean, I I appreciate being able to to sometimes just be able to call a candidate directly on their cell phone, but but that indicates the level of campaign organization and the resources available. So he, he would have had a tough road to hoe uh, against uh, Finstead and that one who, who had, a, I think, a lot more resources and had the backing of the party behind him as well. Sure. You know, but, but then the question becomes, okay, in the special election where Finstead won, uh, the Republican won over uh, Jeff Ettinger, the Democrat, um, does that tell us what potentially might happen in November? Because it's going to be Finstad versus Ettinger to determine who represents the first congressional district for the next two years after that, right? I mean, uh, now Brad Finstead, he was sworn in. It's only these remaining few months of the late Congressman Hagedorn's term that he's going to be serving. So then the question is, okay, does he have a leg up in, in November because he won the special election? You know, and that's... That's an interesting question because uh, analysts that I've talked to have said he have said he probably does. However, the thing that we need to consider is who was really voting in this <laughs> in this special election slash primary election, right? Um, and I think it's safe to assume that that we had uh, that it was heavily weighted toward Republicans because you had a primary election battle right between um, between Finstead and Munson, so they had an interest to get in there, the party faithful, and therefore, okay, then you turn over the ballot, and obviously you're going to vote for the. Republican, right? If you're voting in the Republican primary, I mean, there's some crossover, but there's probably not a lot of that kind of game playing in an election like this. True. So there, yeah. So therefore, you know, uh, the fact the fact that um, that Finstead won the special election, well, that that was probably weighted fairly heavily toward Republicans in terms terms of those going into the voting booth. So is it indicative of what might happen in November? Maybe not. I, I hope my explanation makes sense. It's kind of oh yeah, you know, it's getting pretty far into the weeds. Um, well, it's always been the case, isn't it, with primaries? Because it's yeah, that's right. It's the people who are heavily invested or driven who generally that's participate right. in the primaries. Yeah, and and is there a lot of is there a lot of impetus on the part of those who vote in primaries to make trouble? You know what I mean by crossing over, right? In other words, you know they, you know, well that might happen in presidential elections. Or it might happen in gubernatorial primaries, and we had gubernatorial primaries, but it, we, weren't, we weren't contested really to, to speak of. Uh, but you know, but but an election like this, I, I have to believe that that there probably wasn't a lot of game playing like that going on, crossover voting. And the first uh, and then, district is remarkably hard to predict as well. It's it really is a it. purple district. It might lean a little bit conservative, but not a lot. Yeah, Pockets and, of it are very conservative. 
Yeah, that's correct. And then there are pockets like uh, like Rochester and Mankato, and I think Mankato probably even more so than Rochester, right? Uh, that that, uh, that are of a different kind of a composition. And, and then you have a question about well, then then the thing is, of course, the boundaries of the first congressional district changed as well, right? The uh, uh, the special election was going off of the old boundaries, and in November we're going to right. be voting, bringing precincts in in, in the new boundaries, uh, and, and and the the first. Uh, picked up some areas uh, of south-central Minnesota and lost some areas up in the southeast, kind of toward the southeast suburbs of the Twin Cities, right? You know, so some of those fell into the into the second congressional district. One's up, up that way in the redrawing of the boundaries. Now, we're, we're getting very technical. <laughs> well, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to take it, you know, to the, to the point. I, I, hope, I hope that what I'm talking about is making some sense to folks. Well, it is. Uh, that map makes a big difference. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah. And... It's always been in uh, southern Minnesota, at least. The further to the west you got, the more conservative you've got. Correct. Yeah, that's generally yep. the case, right? With in the exception the, of Mankato, I think, you know. Is, is, right, it's past because Mankato. Of, because of Mankato State University, yeah. Right. And, and it used to be many, many years ago, southeastern Minnesota was very, very conservative. Correct. But that has changed as Rochester's population has grown. That's right. So those, yeah, Rochester so is, is one of the primary drivers on that, yes, because you got a big block of population there. Yeah. Right. So I wonder if the shift... Uh, of the line in southeastern Minnesota and the gain of territory in south central Minnesota yeah. might have made it a little bit more conservative than it was yes. for the previous. That is what the, the analysts are saying, that it's a little bit more red. And, and, and But, you know, the thing is, the, the battle, uh, the second congressional district, okay, which is currently, now Angie Craig is, is right, there. Right, just is, north is, of is us. Is they coming just north. The areas along uh, Lake Pepin and those counties and going up into the southeast suburbs of the Twin Cities, uh, you know, that is going to be one of the national battleground districts uh, in the upcoming election, the midterm elections. And, and by connection, the first congressional district, by adjacency, right, uh, and, and because of the boundary shiftings, I think you're going to see a lot of focus on the first congressional district as well. And that race between Finstad and Edinger, uh, you know, I think you're going to see maybe not as much national attention as, as, as you're going to get in the first congressional district, that battle. Uh, but um, uh, be, between uh, Angie Craig and Tyler Kitzner, uh, but I think the first is going to see a pretty good spotlight <laughs> coming so up get ready, election. get ready for irritating television oh, commercials. Well, probably. Yeah, I, mean, I would think so. <laughs> Maybe not as many as, as in the Twin Cities. Well, they'll bleed <laughs> down. Trust impossible. me. Trust me. Our market uh, is plenty uh, combines. Uh, the second district comes really, really close to Rochester now. So that's, we'll, right. that's right. They'll be uh, using our market to get their message across to those areas. Yeah. And, uh, and then if you have president, if you have uh, presidential visits or former presidential visits, uh, read Donald Trump. Okay coming into the mix, uh, you know, and, and, you know, what happens there and are there visits in lacrosse because of the Wisconsin dynamic, right, with the governor's race there and all the way, I mean, he already visited Milwaukee suburbs, right? Recently. Right. You know, and, and all this plays in because if you do get, if you do get uh, Donald Trump injecting himself in this, then obviously it just ramps it up right in terms of in terms of interest uh, just just exponentially so well, i don't know but we'll, we'll have to see i mean again this is i'm just thinking out loud here 
Well, that's fine, but beyond these two races, a lot of attention was yes. paid to Minneapolis and Ilhan yes. Omar. And yes, that's right. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, did yeah. that catch you by surprise, how close that race ended up being? Yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, I I thought that Don Samuels would do a do a pretty formidable formidable challenge to her, okay, that he would get pretty close. I didn't think he would get within two points. <laughs> well, it's a little over two points, right? Two point, two and a quarter, I think, was the final number. Two and a quarter percent. That's close. Uh, and what what does that tell you? Well, that tells you at least what the, what the some of the answers are saying, like David Schultz from from Hamlin, and he's real real close to this. He's saying that that. Probably Omar didn't really read the message in terms of how strong the crime issue was. It's specifically um, her stance. She's kind of a, she's identified with defund the police, right? Okay, and uh, and Don Samuels, her challenger, definitely not in that area. Okay, he's much older. Uh, he's he's. I don't want to say it's into the political establishment, okay, but he's more much more established long term in politics than Ilhan Omar, and 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 he didn't take that stance. So what does that tell you? Well, that probably tells you that a lot of folks are pretty uncomfortable with the situation in Minneapolis, in core Minneapolis, in terms of the crime situation, and they're justifiably in that. I mean, you know, where where we live here in downtown Minneapolis, okay, we've had four or five murders within a few blocks of us, okay, over the last few months. So, yeah, it's over 50. Is it over 60 now people have been murdered yeah. in Minneapolis this year? I, I mean, I mean, we had an incident, you know, with that, with that raid, okay, that police raid across the street from Orchestra Hall. Now, that's a different kind of a category of thing, okay? But right a block from that, there was a shooting where the gun ended up on top of WCCO television's roof. I did not know that. Thrown out of an apartment window. Yeah. You know, uh, a murder and then the, the, then the shooter throws the gun on top of CCO TV's studios, the roof. <laughs> you know. So you're, and this is the kind of stuff that's going on here. Well, I mean... What's happening in Minneapolis is having repercussions even in Rochester, where the crime problem is elevated from what it was before the pandemic, but it's right. it's nowhere near as serious as what you're dealing with in Minneapolis, and it's and it, and it's reverberating here. I can't imagine what it's doing to the political landscape in Minneapolis. The question I have for you on that, Bill, does that make her even remotely vulnerable to a Republican candidate carrying no. the crime message? No. no. Okay. No. No, the Republican can't get any traction in the 5th Congressional District. So, therefore, the question is, and you know, did Omar l learn anything from this, from this squeak <laughs> nearly getting in there, right? Okay. And the conclusion you probably have to draw as an analyst is there's no reason why she would have to <laughs> learn anything from it. You know what I mean? Because at least this election cycle, because she's going to have to, because she's going to get reelected regardless. I'm sorry I'm being brutal her PR person is going to call me up and say, what are you bad-mouthing my congresswoman for? Okay. They're not bad-mouthing. It's just kind of the way it is. It's the political reality of it. So uh, 
she has to run in two years, so that well, right. we'll see where where the landscape that's is two years from that's now. That's exactly right. You, you know, and, and do you have a Don Samuels or someone like that again try for a rematch at, at some point, or or what happens? It's be difficult for Republicans to field a candidate that would uh, that would pr- prevail in the fifth congressional district, at least at this point, as it have to change dramatically. You know. Okay, but some sort of a challenge, Democrat on Democrat, yeah, it almost it almost worked this time, um, and you know this the crime issue is something that is, I mean, the way I look at it, if if we can, maybe this is a good time to segue, if as it were, uh, or transition to the other races like the governor's race and the attorney general's race, because we've got probably two issues that are going to fall out. Um, other than the economy, and the economy is going to, you know, regardless of what happens with the with the economy, if that if the economy goes bad, that's going to going to be the number one issue. But we haven't seen that quite happen quite yet. Maybe we won't. Okay. But that aside, the two issues that I see going into this election are crime and abortion. And you know, the the situation is that the Democrats. In all the races, the major races, attorney general and governor, so that would be Tim Walls and Keith Ellison, are on defense when it comes to crime, right? Because of what happened with George Floyd and all the absolutely, from that, okay. And what they're trying to do is put the Republicans in the race, okay. So we're talking about Scott Jensen, and we're talking about Jim Schultz, the Republican endorsed candidate for attorney general. The Democrats are trying to put them on defense on the abortion issue. And that's how this thing's going to play out. And if the economy comes in the mix, then, of course, you know, all bets are off. And we're going to have to see. And that's going to, that's going to obviously predominate. Although, you know, question between crime and the economy, right? Okay. You know, have you got enough chicken in the pot or are you being shot at? <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Which one is more important? Well, you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Both of those are important. But Democrats are going to try, like the Dickens... To get to to, to more work this abortion issue as much as they can um, against the Republicans in this upcoming campaign, and you can see it already. And that's going to be interesting to watch because yes, the polling suggests that while the economy is on the forefront nationally, and if you did a poll even in Minnesota, people are the inflationary issue is scary to folks. That's right. And then yeah. it seems yeah. as if crime would follow that in these pollings, and then. At least, abortion seemed to be down the list quite a ways. Yeah, but that could right. that could shift, obviously, as we head towards November. That's right. No, and I, I think, and you're right. If you look at who do e- each of these issues affect, okay, the economy affects everybody pretty much, right? Uh, crime affects a lot of people. It doesn't, on a percentage basis, probably the increase, certainly the increase, does not affect as many people in Minnesota as a whole as any any change in the economy would. So therefore, what happened, you know, how does this all play out? And you're correct that abortion is down the list uh, quite a bit. But Democrats are going to try to put it as high, push it as high on the list as they can in voters' minds. And that's that's how this whole thing is seems to be going at least at this from this point of observation that we are a few months away from the election still so in the governor's race we are this is speculation obviously likely to see a lot of republican commercials featuring the minneapolis area on fire 
the no rioting. Question. No question about and it. And on the Democrat side, a lot dealing with um, reproductive rights. I would and, and, and statements so. that have been made by Republican candidates that those who are pro-choice might not appreciate. Yeah, that's right. You know, and and the line that that is is very emblematic of that is one that uh, Scott Jensen has the Republican candidate for governor has been using, uh, but but really highlighted it even yesterday. And he said, and it's evocative of Ronald Reagan. You remember back in 1980, he said, "Are you better off than you were four years ago?" Right against Jimmy yeah. Carter. Okay. Now, Scott Jensen is asking the question of. Uh, of voters in the context of Tim Walls being governor, do you feel safer than you did four years ago? Well, <laughs> you know, okay, that kind of frames it, doesn't it? It does. Um, and, and the governor is on defense on that. He, and, and, and he is, you know, at a press conference yesterday saying, we're going to do uh, increased enforcement is going to continue right through the Minnesota State Fair. You know, it's going to continue until people in greater Minnesota feel that they're safe. In, in coming to the Twin Cities, obviously the State Fair, a lot of folks from outside the Twin Cities are going to come here for the State Fair, right? That's the message. But he's still on defense. And he's got to, politically, he has to turn that around. I don't know how you do that other than, you know, heaven help us if you have another major situation, right? Like a George Floyd or something like that. And then the response to that is, okay, now look how I handled it this time, you know, okay? Yeah. All right. But other than that, you're kind of on defense, and that's a tough position to be in for any, for any politician to be in. Does Dr. Jensen have any ability to make inroads into the Twin Cities? Or is he going to be a greater Minnesota candidate? He, the battle, I think, in this uh, is going to be in this election is going to be in the Twin Cities suburbs. Um, they are going to decide who is the next governor of Minnesota. And I'm going to take that and put a finer point on it. I think it's going to be the outer ring Twin Cities suburbs. It's not going to be the Brooklyn Centers or the Richfields or the Robbinsdales or the Columbia Heights. It's Wyzetta and Woodbury. and It's going to be Woodbury, Maple Grove, Andover, uh, Eden Prairie, um, those kind of suburbs, uh, Lakeville, uh, Lakeville is pretty heavily Republican. Okay, um, those kinds of places, um, those those growing suburbs that are in that you know forty fifty thousand population range that are uh, fifteen or twenty miles out from the central city, right? Um, I have a feeling that those are the ones that are that are going to decide on this. Um, and what kind of crime are they seeing there? Because the inner ring suburbs, the Columbia Heights, the Fridleys to some section, certainly Brooklyn Center, uh, Richfield to some degree, uh, Robbinsdale, Crystal, well, maybe not Crystal. Um, those suburbs are more identified with the inner city just by their demographic makeup right Sure. Now, right? And so then the question is, well, how are they? Are they tired of what's going on? And then are they going to vote Republican? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's that's more iffy probably than than pulling some some swing votes in uh, in um, Woodbury or Maple Grove or Andover or, or places or places like that. 
but we're you know we're getting really into into the oh. demographics of it. But I I don't know. That's that's my gut feel that that's where that's that's where the battle is going to be won or but, lost. And myself, I think Jensen's biggest problem is name recognition. And the only uh, he's had a few months here now to yeah. ramp it up. Um, he probably needs some more debates with the governor. Yeah. Well, I would think so. You know, and but just by virtue, let, let me let me offer this as an observation. He probably does have a name recognition uh, pro, uh, problem, but just by virtue of that, it's the governor's race. It's going to push that that more into 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 visibility for him. You know? Fantastic. Yeah, and and so uh, although more more people may be. You may know Tim Walls' name, just if you ask, oh, you know, who's Tim Walls? Oh, he's the governor of Minnesota. Who's Scott Jensen? Well, I don't know. As you get closer to the election, people are going to have to start making decisions on this, and, and they're going to know the options, the, the two options being the two major options being um, Tim Walls or Scott Jensen. All right. Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your opinions and your analysis. Uh, I really enjoy it. Good. I know when talking to you, because you've got a smart audience, uh, that we can get into the weeds and people can, can untangle it. And I hope I did a decent job of explaining <laughs> it. I think you did just fine. Okay, All right. Good. It's Bill Warner with the Minnesota News Network. I hope to chat with you again sooner than later, Bill. Thank you so much. I'm Andy yes. Brownell, and this has been Rochester Today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Beer, beer, and more beers are coming your way 